Thank you for listening to this message from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. Now, we are in a series of messages. This is going to be the second entitled, I Believe, and we're unpacking the Apostles' Creed. Now, the Apostles' Creed is the oldest creed in Christendom. Um, Literally, billions and billions and billions of Christians have confessed this creed over the last two millennium. And we're starting each one of our sessions by going through the creed, confessing this creed as a congregation. So if you'll go confess with me, let's read it together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. You know, as we look at our society that we live in today, Western culture in the 21st century, people want to be spiritual, but they don't want to be religious. And again, we've talked about how we live in this individualistic society, and what people want to do is they basically want to have their, their belief system like a smorgasbord. They'll say, well, I like this about Christianity, and I like this about Hinduism, I like this about New Age, and I like this about Buddhism, and they kind of put it in a blender and whip it up and said, this is what I believe, right? Now, the thing about that is this. You can do that, but you can't do that and be Christian, right? Now, it's in the book of Jude, the third verse, where it says this. I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once and for all delivered to the saints. The Christian faith, what Christians believe, was given once for all. Now that means what Christians believed in the first century, in the second century, is what Christians believe in the 21st century. Right? There's no change. Now, really, the, well, let me, let me just mention here, he says you're going to have to contend earnestly. He says there's going to be a fight. Because we're living in a kingdom or in a culture that is not a Christian culture. How many of you know this is a post-Christian culture? Right? We're, we're, there's gonna, the culture is going to go in one direction, but the church is not going to move. The church is going to continue to believe and do the things that the church has always done. Now, Christians believe, we have always believed, that the Bible is the inspired inerrant word of God. You say, what does that mean? That the Bible is God speaking to us. Literally, that it's God-breathed and that it is true. All scripture, the Bible says, is given by inspiration of God or is God-breathed. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The Bible claims the unique privilege of being the means through which God speaks to humanity and that it possesses absolute truth. And again, we're going through and unpacking the Apostles' Creed, the oldest creed in Christendom. Now, 
Jesus, you know this, but I'm just going to remind you, he is the head of the church. He's the head of the church because he bought the church, Acts 20 says, with his own blood. Jesus said, I will build my church. Who's it belong to? Jesus. It's his church. And because it's his church, you and I have no right to reinvent the church. Right? Now, the message of Christendom, the message that Jesus gave us, what he did in his death, burial, and resurrection, it is sacred. The method that it is proclaimed is not sacred. You say, what does that mean? How many of you old people remember when we first brought guitars into the church? I mean, people got mad because there was a guitar in church. All right? Well, guitars are methods. Right? They're not the message. They're just a method to carry the message. Right? Some people have gotten mad because you can, well, back when Christian services first came on television or first came on the Internet, they were upset about the method. The method is not important, but the message is important. The message does not change. Right? Now, what we have, let me just say it like this. If you have a God that likes everything that you like and dislikes everything that you dislike, it's not the God of the Bible. It's one you invented. All right. And it's really just kind of a reflection of yourself. All right. I like what it says in Corinthians chapter 10. It says these things are written for your admonition and it means to slap you upside the face. All right. The Bible is going to slap you. All right. It's going to straighten you out. It's going to correct you. All right. So we do not have the right to reinvent the church, to change the church. The faith was delivered once for all to the saints. And again, the church always has been, always will be countercultural. Right? The reason for that is this. First John 5, 19. Listen to this. We know that we are of God in the whole world lies under the sway, control, power, and grip of the wicked one. Right? The world system, the Bible says, don't be conformed to this world. Why? Because the whole world is under the sway, the control, the power, the grip of the wicked one. So if you live as a Christian, don't be surprised when your neighbors, even family members, are not excited about it. Because the truth is, you're living as part of a different kingdom. Jesus came and said, rethink your life because the kingdom of God is here. Right? He wants us to be a part of God's kingdom. Right? But yet there is another kingdom. It's under the sway, the control, the power, and the grip of the enemy. In this world is going to think that living a Christian life and believing what Christians believe, what the Bible teaches, they're going to think it's strange because they're going in a different direction. Right? So with that said, we began looking last week at the beginning of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father, almighty creator of heaven and earth. We saw that actually in the original, it wasn't I believe, but it's we believe. And he is the creator. Now, we're going to take a look at a couple of different 
theological interpretations of Genesis chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3. And the reason for this is because so many people, particularly young people, they, in school, they lose their faith. They lose their faith, and they lose it in this particular area right here, the area of creation. And there are three basic interpretations of Genesis chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the Bible does not talk about how old the earth is, right? The Bible is not trying to argue with anybody. I, I, so there's three basic interpretations. The first interpretation of Genesis chapter 1 says that God created the earth in six days of 24 hours. Sometime between six and 10,000 years ago, God created the earth. There were six 24-hour days, and he rested on the seventh day. The second interpretation of that same scripture is that those days were not 24 hours, that those days were extended periods of time, perhaps even billions of years. I recently read an article by a scientist, and he believed, as many scientists do, that the earth is like 13.7 billion years old. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. Right? Then there's the third interpretation of Scripture, which is the one that I personally believe and quite a few Bible scholars believe. That in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, Genesis 1, 2. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now it says the earth was without form and void. The Hebrew word is heyah, and it's translated most places became. In fact, 67 times became, 105 times came or came to pass. So the earth became without form and void. Now, that's not how God originally created it, but it became. Isaiah 45, 18, he did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. Different translation, he made the world to be lived in, not to be a place of empty chaos. Right. So something according to this interpretation, happened in between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. And the earth became chaotic. It got to the point where it was without form and void. But when God originally created the earth, he did not create it chaotic. He formed it to be inhabited. Now, in Genesis 1-1, it says, in the beginning God created. The word in Hebrew is bara. It means to create out of something that did not previously exist, no previously existing material. As it says in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith we understand that the words were framed by the word of God so that the things that were seen are not made of things that are visible. Genesis 1.1 has God creating out of nothing. But if you look through the rest of the Genesis 1 account, God is using existing material to create. In, in, for example, in Exodus 20, verse 11, it says, In six days the Lord made Asha, not Bara, but Asha in the Hebrew, the heavens, which means to create out of already existing material. Right? It appears, many scholars believe, that something happened in between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. So when God created after Genesis 1-2, he's using already existing material. 
I think that's very, very interesting. I also think that it's interesting that when God said to Noah after the flood, he said to him, go and replenish the earth. It's the exact same thing he told Adam and Eve. He told them to go and replenish the earth. Well, somebody says, what happened then in between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2? Here's what I've I've read from some, some good Bible scholars. They said that what probably happened was this is where Satan was ruling before Adam and Eve. And when God kicked Satan out of the earth, there was this tremendous catastrophe that took place. Ezekiel chapter 11 says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardis, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your tablets and your pipes were prepared for you in the day you were created. Now notice, this being was never born, but created. Right? This is talking about Satan. Then it goes on. It says, you were the anointed cherub who covers. It says, you were the anointed cherub angel, which is what Satan was before he sinned, a cherub angel. And it says, you covered. And it literally means to protect or rule. All right? You were in the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you out as catastrophic. Wow. So many, many Bible scholars believe God created the earth. Satan was here. There was some sort of a kingdom that was here. He sinned. And when God cast him out, there was this catastrophic thing that took place, and the earth became void and without form. Somebody says, how long ago did it happen? How many millions or billions of years ago? The Bible does not give us any idea about that. But Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So when it comes to how old the earth is, the Bible does not specifically tell us. But what I personally believe is this. Whatever theology we have about creation, we have to have a theology that embraces a real Adam and a real Eve. There has to have been a real Adam and a real Eve. Jesus himself, when he was talking to the Pharisees, he says, haven't you read that in the beginning, the creator created them male and female? And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Bible specifically mentions Adam. In Romans chapter 5, the Bible specifically mentions Adam, that through Adam's sin, in sin entered into the world. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin. Thus, death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, the second line in our creed says, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. So I want to talk to you for just a moment about the Trinity, about Jesus. A lot of people have problems, particularly when the Bible talks about Jesus as being the Son. And I want to address that for just a moment. First of all, in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. So it's talking about Jesus here and it refers to him as the word or in the Greek, the logos. It says he was with God in the beginning and he was God in the beginning. And there was nothing that's been created except that he created it. In other words, in the beginning, when God said, let there be light, it was Jesus who said, let there be light. He has existed for eternity past. Now, I know that's hard to get our minds around, right? The Bible in a number of places talks about mysteries, right? And you say, what does that mean? That means that you are not going to figure everything out. How many of you know that if your peanut brain and my peanut brain could figure God out, he wouldn't be much of a God? That, that, that's just a fact. There, there are mysteries. There are things that because of our limited capacity, we do not understand. But the Bible is very clear that Jesus existed for eternity past, that he was God, and that all things were created by him. So Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Now notice it says a child is born and a son is given. When it's talking about a child is born, it's talking about Jesus being born in Bethlehem, the physical body that he was born in. But the son that was given, Jesus was in heaven and he had to be given as a gift to us from heaven. In fact, the Bible records Jesus talking in heaven before he was born in Bethlehem. How many knew that? Hebrews chapter 10. Listen to this. Therefore, he said, when he came into the world, how many of you were talking before you came into the world? But before Jesus came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offering and sacrifice for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. Before Jesus left heaven, he said, but a body you have prepared for me. Now, as far as Jesus being, now, now think about this. He's referred to as the son, but yet he has existed for eternity and never had a day when he was born and began to exist. Right? Now, in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15, I, th- I think this will help you. It says, he existed before everything and was created and is supreme over all creation. Another translation says it this way. He ranks higher than and is the firstborn and over. All right? He ranks higher than and is the firstborn. Literally, Jesus relates to God the Father like a firstborn son relates to his father. He has the position of a firstborn son. Did, was, he, was, was there a day that he was born that he began to exist? No. But he relates to the father as a son. Right? Now somebody said, well, isn't he the begotten? Yes, he is. Look at Acts chapter 13, and it tells us when he was begotten. Peter, excuse me, Paul is preaching here, and he says, God has fulfilled this for us, their children, and that he has raised up Jesus literally raise him from the dead. As it is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten thee. When did he become the begotten? When God raised him from the dead. When God raised Jesus from the dead, he said, today I have begotten you. And that's why the Bible calls him the firstborn among many brethren. 
Romans 8, 29. It says that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Jesus is the firstborn. And I don't know if it was Peter, James, or John that was the second. But then there was a third and a fourth and a fifth and a sixth. And your number is in there somewhere. All right. Jesus is the firstborn. However, you have also been born into the family of God. You've been born again and your number is in there along with Jesus' number. And I think that is some of the best news that we can possibly hear. Right. Then it says our Lord. And I want to talk to you for the remaining seven or eight minutes here about Jesus as our Lord. Right. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. We shouldn't be living for ourselves, but for the one who died for us and rose again. There, there, there was, and, and it's still around to some degree, a teaching in the church that you can receive Jesus as your Savior, but not your Lord. Right? But it really is not true. Right? When he comes, he comes just one way. He comes as Savior and Lord. Right? He doesn't want to just save you from an eternal punishment. He wants you to be a part of the kingdom of God today. Revelation 1.4. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. So what Jesus did is he left heaven and he came, and it says it this way in Philippians 2, and being found in the appearance as a man. Another translation says, after he became a man. Now Jesus was completely human, but he was also completely God. You say, explain that. I can't. I cannot. But he became a man. Right? And not only did he come and become a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So the next verse talks about him as Lord. Listen, therefore God also highly exalted him and given him a name above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Notice he's referred to in the creed as our Lord, right? His name is the supreme name in heaven where God is, on earth where we are, and under the earth in the demonic realm. And it's so that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, this is why this is important. Because the whole world, we read it in the beginning, lies under the sway, the control, the power, and the grip of the wicked one. There are two kingdoms in this world. There is the kingdom of God. Jesus came and said, rethink your life because the kingdom of God is here. Right? But there is another kingdom. Right? Jesus, talking about Satan, said, the prince of this world comes, and he has nothing in me. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Satan is called the God, with a small g, of this world. 
Why is he referred to that way? Because the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. How did it happen? When Adam and Eve bowed their knee to Satan, not only did something happen inside of them, but they, they, their, their relationship with God, it died. But beyond that, Satan took their authority and he came into this world just as through one man sin entered the world. Sin, death, sickness, disease, war, famine, everything entered this world when Adam bowed his knee to Satan and allowed Satan to come into this world. Satan said to Jesus when he was tempting him, he said he showed him all the glory of the world and their kingdoms and said, if you will bow down and worship me, I will give you all of this because it has been delivered to me. Because it has been delivered to me. If, he, if the devil's lying, there's no temptation. Who gave Satan dominion in this world? Adam, when he bowed his knee to the devil. All right. Just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, thus dead to, death spread to all men because all sinned. God created Adam and Eve, and he put in them everything he wanted for every person who would ever live. They bowed to Satan. Something inside, spiritually, they died, and they reproduced. But they didn't reproduce in the condition they were created. They reproduced in the condition that they fell into. So death, sin, Satan's dominion, it spread to all men. Now, I know you're an American. And you don't like it because you didn't get to vote. But the truth is, Adam represented you. And what he did affects you and me today. And when we get to heaven, we're going to kick him in the butt. I mean, I'm going to be like, what in the world were you thinking? All right. You're going to be like, Adam, you, if you had just held the straight and narrow, none of this stuff would have happened. See, but what he did affected you. Let me, let me tell you this. I've, I've told this story before, but I want to hear it again. So you're, you're going to have to listen to it. Jeannie and I are missionaries in Mexico. All right? And our first son, Joshua, had been born. He was a Mexican citizen, born in a Mexican hospital. And uh, we're, we're going in and out of Mexico, and immigration is hassling us. You, can, how are you? you cannot live in Mexico. Well, we don't live there. We kind of don't. We sometimes do. We work in and out. And Well, your son was born there. And so... We get pregnant again and we think, let's have our next son born in America. We didn't even know if it was a, don't think we even knew if it was a boy or a girl back then. Our next child, let's just bring him to the state so we don't have problems with immigration. And he can be born in a nice, clean American hospital. So a couple of weeks before Samuel's to be born, we go up to where Jeannie's folks live in the state of Washington. And we're going to be there for the baby, you know. And the genie gets up and the water breaks and we get in the car. And every man, this is your dream. You get to speed and you don't get tickets, you know, fast as we can. It's 13 miles to the hospital. I mean, I got it floored the whole way. We get up to the hospital, get around the back to the emergency entrance, and it is locked. The emergency entrance is locked. So we go to the front of the hospital. But before we get there, Samuel's born. He's born in the car. He was born in the van, actually. In fact, you probably know this, but three of our four children were born in a van. <laughs> Serious. That's why they're van, they're clocks, because they were born <laughs> in vans. But it's really true, really true. They're, they're born in vans. Okay. So we made a decision to leave Mexico and come to America for our child to be born. Now, he had no say. 
But what we decided affected his citizenship. If we had stayed in Mexico, he would have been born a Mexican citizen. But we came to America, so he was born an American citizen. And he did not get to vote. You were in Adam. And what Adam did affected you. Through one man, sin entered the world. Death, sickness, disease, war, famine, pestilence, prejudice. You named the sin, and it came in through what he did. Now, what Jesus did is he came to rescue us. He came to rescue us from our condition. I want you to listen to Colossians 1, verse 13. It was he who rescued us from the grip and power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Another translation. Rescued us out of the power of darkness and established us as citizens in the kingdom of his beloved son. My favorite. For he has rescued us out of the darkness and gloom of Satan's kingdom and brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. Listen, every person, the Bible tells us, this world is under the sway of the wicked one, the grip, the control, the power. But you don't need to stay there. You can get out from under Satan's dominion. You can get out of his kingdom. Romans 10, 19 If you will confess with your mouth Jesus as your Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Back to Philippians chapter 2. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When Jesus returns on judgment day, every tongue will confess. Every tongue will confess. You'll have to confess. And every knee will bow. But today, you can choose to confess. Choose Jesus as your Lord. And when you do, instantly, God translates you out of the kingdom of Satan's darkness and gloom into the kingdom of the Son of his love. He is Lord of the kingdom of God. King of kings, Lord of lords. All right. Would you please bow your head? For just a moment. Now, if you're here, you're not right with God today, I want you to listen. John 3:16, the best known verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. Did you get that? God loves you, and there is nothing that you will ever do that will make God love you more. And there is nothing you can ever do to make God love you less. Because God is love. He is love. The world, the devil will tell you, God's mad at you. You've done too much wrong. You've gone too far. You can never get right with God. You're not a good person. God doesn't love you. God's mad at you. It's a lie. He loves you. And nothing can make him love you more or love you less. And he wants you to receive that love. He wants to forgive you. He wants you to be a part of his family. And you are not here today by accident. You're here because he loves you. You're here because he's drawing you. And he wants you to respond to his love, which means two things. Number one, it means turning your back on your old life. 
Stop living to please yourself and live for the one who died and rose from the dead for you. And secondly, it means receiving Jesus. To as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to be the children of God. It's not enough to know about him. It's not enough to just believe in him. You need to receive him as your Lord and your Savior. He'll forgive you. He'll make you a brand new person on the inside. He will take you out of the kingdom of Satan's darkness and gloom. And he will translate you into the kingdom of the Son of his love. Now, if you need to get right with God, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand in just a moment when I count to three. Now, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Your way will not get you to God. My way won't get me to God. There's one way, and that's Jesus. And when you lift your hand today, first thing you're saying is, God, I know I need a Savior, and I know there's just one, and it's Jesus, and I'm coming to him to be saved today. One. When you lift your hand, you're saying to God, God, I understand that you want to take me from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the son of your love. And today, I am turning my back on my old life. I'm no longer going to live to please myself. I'm going to live for the one who died and rose again for me. Two. Now get ready. This is the most important decision you'll ever make. When you lift that hand, you're saying, God, today by faith, I am receiving Jesus. He's going to come into my heart, blood wash me from my sin. I'm going to be forgiven. My past is going to be gone. He's going to make me a new person on the inside, a part of your family on my way to heaven. Three, lift your hand up. Right For more information about Res Life, please visit our website at reslife.org. If you have questions about Res Life or would like directions to visit us, please feel free to call 616-534-4923.